Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, June 16th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. Coronavirus pandemic as states reopen, cases spike in multiple states, hospitals seeing a surge in patients. Protesting police, Seattle tries to strike a deal with demonstrators as President Trump blasts Seattle's mayor and the state's governor. And complaints of police abuse keep surfacing. An Afro-Latino man alleges he was beaten by police during a recent demonstration. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with alarming new headlines about the coronavirus pandemic. As the nation reopens, many states reporting an increase in cases, part of what could be a second wave of infections hitting earlier than predicted and causing markets to plummet. The U.S. getting ready for a new wave of coronavirus, 20 states seeing an increase in cases. In California, cases are up in 11 counties. And in Arizona, officials reporting a spike in Maricopa, the largest county. We're getting reports of almost 600 cases per day in comparison to just an average of 200 cases per day about two weeks ago. That means that we've received 27% of all the cases during the pandemic just in the last week. We're seeing increasing cases. We're going to continue our gradual and phased-in reopening. We will balance public health with public safety, and we'll increase our testing and our contact tracing. We're also going to increase, in terms of hospital capacity, on whatever will come next. Since Memorial Day, 12 states have seen coronavirus hospitalizations rise, according to data from the COVID-19 tracking project. In Texas, that increase has been 36%, the state marking its highest daily tally of new cases this week. In Houston, the situation is so serious, authorities are even considering re-implementing stay-at-home orders. I'm growing increasingly concerned that we may be approaching the precipice, the precipice of a disaster. Florida saw almost 1,700 new cases in the 24 hours between Wednesday and Thursday. Health officials citing lack of face coverings and social distancing behind the spike. But despite seeing that state's highest increase in cases so far, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says schools will be open this fall. Having a teacher there, they're just, there's not going to be a substitute uh, for that in-person instruction. Health experts warning the death toll in the U.S. could surpass 200,000 by September. If we don't act, uh, the future is very grim. There will be a lot of people who are going to get very, very sick. Many people will die. The rise in cases causing the markets to plummet. The Dow dropping more than 1,800 points on Thursday for its worst day since March. In Oregon, Governor Kate Brown announced she has halted further reopening across the state for at least seven days after seeing a concerning increase in coronavirus infections. In Seattle, police have abandoned one of, it, one of its precincts, allowing protesters free reign to set up what they call an autonomous zone free of law enforcement. President Trump blasting Seattle's mayor and Washington's governor, Rafael Rodriguez, has the details. What do we want? Yes. What do we want? 
for the fourth day, protesters surrounding the 6th Precinct in Seattle, which police abandoned Monday and boarded up after days of clashes with demonstrators. Now, graffiti and signs with slogans like Seattle People Department and Property of the People, the area has become known as the CHAZ, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. This building is the is the people's. You know, we pay for it with our taxes. We just want to make sure that it's being used for the right things. Demonstrators have set up their own barricades. There's a clinic, a co-op, and free food. We're going to continue to peacefully demonstrate. We're going to protest the excessive use of police violence to defund the police, to release all the protesters who have been arrested. President Trump blasting Governor Jay Inslee and Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin on Twitter for their response to protests saying, quote, take back your city. If you don't, I will. But on Thursday, the mayor firing back. One of the things this president will never understand is that listening to community is not a weakness. It is a strength. The governor tweeting he will not allow threats of military violence from the White House, but today there are cracks in the guard around the precinct. I feel like it's been hijacked. The message is totally gone on why we were protesting in the first place. I want our movement back. The police chief, accompanied by several officers, walking into the precinct for the first time in days. The command for us to leave was so quick we weren't able to even get our equipment out of here. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin could receive more than $1 million in pension benefits during his retirement years, even if he's convicted of killing George Floyd. Many states allow for the forfeiture of pensions for employees convicted of felony crimes related to their work, but this is not the case in Minnesota. Chauvin would be likely be eligible for annual payments around $50,000 a year or more if he chose to start receiving them at age 55. The benefits could stretch to $1.5 million or over 30, over 30 years. Oklahoma City police have released body camera footage of the arrest of a man who died one hour after being taken into custody last month. We want to warn you, some viewers may find this video disturbing. Police were responding to calls of a black man with a gun arguing with individuals. They say they found Derek Scott and began talking to him, but he ran away. Police cam footage shows officers chasing after him and then one officer tackling him to the ground. That officer straddled Scott as a second officer helps to subdue him. Scott can be heard saying, I can't breathe, an officer responding, I don't care. Then a third officer arrives on scene. She tells Scott to stop resisting. All three work to handcuff him as Scott repeats that he can't breathe. Officers finally called an ambulance. According to the medical examiner's report, Scott died from a collapsed lung. And U.S. Secretary of Defense Mark Esper is ordering a review of the National Guard's response to the protests. The after-action review will evaluate the National Guard's efforts working with local and federal law enforcement across the country. It comes after Esper ordered an active-duty troops to move to Washington, D.C. area to return to their home base. The troops had been positioned around Washington on heightened alert status to allow for quick deployment amid nationwide protests. 
And big changes are taking place in a matter of weeks on police reform and racial equality in America. Those changes developing at the state and local levels, as well as in businesses and entertainment. Even Republicans on Capitol Hill appear to be embracing change. But one person seems to be mostly standing still, President Trump. And in some cases, he's standing in outright opposition. Janet Rodriguez is live with us from Washington, D.C. Janet? Opposition Lorraine continues to be to what he calls defunding of police departments, even though that's not what we're talking here in Washington and that's not what Congress is saying. However, yesterday in Dallas uh, with uh, police officers in a roundtable, the president once again said that nobody would take away money from the police departments, although he did talk about an executive order that he may be signing in the next couple of days or weeks. And he said that that could start creating some change. Here's part of what he said. They said, oh, that's such a terrible thing. Well, guess what? You know who dominated the streets? People that you don't want to dominate the streets. We're doing it with compassion, if you think about it. We're dominating the street with compassion. And to that call of police reform, now top Republicans here in Congress are siding with Democrats to be able to put out legislation that would create real change. We're talking about uh, the leader, Kevin McCarthy, who said yesterday that he is willing to sign legislation or sign on to legislation that would ban chokeholds. Yes. Especially uh, in the concept, if you watch within a bill coming forward, the idea of someone that would have a chokehold when somebody is handcuffed or others, there should be severe consequences. And Republicans are also siding with the Democrats in a rare meeting yesterday in the Senate and opposing the president when it comes to military bases in a committee in the Senate. Yesterday, they approved legislation to rename some of those military bases, although the president has said that he is in complete opposition and he would never consider such legislation. And speaking of the military, we learned yesterday as well that military, that General Milley never told the White House or warned them that that he would be apologizing in that graduation video that went viral when he apologized for walking with the president to St. John's Church two weeks ago. He said that that he, basically he didn't have a need to uh, tell the White House what he was going to say in that video. We're also learning that he also thought about resigning after he well created very much criticism. People criticized him, especially within the ranks of the military for appearing to be political and bipartisan when walking with a president, something that military members do not do here in Washington or anywhere in the country. They, stay, they try to stay outside of politics. Now he's apologizing for that as well. Back to you. Thank you, Janet Rodriguez, reporting live in Washington, D.C. And now let's go to Charles Zeldin. He's a political science professor at Nova Southeastern University. Professor Zeldin, what's your take on the criticism of, president, of the president's handling of the unrest? I think it's well taken. Uh, even if you agree with him in his basic view that we need to take control of the streets. It hasn't been done well. It's been done with more violence than necessary. It's been done in a ham-handed manner. And the, the optics have just been horrible. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, when you look at the president and how he's handling it, uh, there's, there's sort of elements of uh, George W. Bush and Katrina. He's just not rising to the moment. 
And Professor, top Republicans are breaking away from President Trump as well as two of his top Pentagon leaders, General Milley and Secretary of Defense Esper. Are you surprised? Uh, no, uh, at least on the part of the military. Uh, the president was pushing the military to engage in actions they're not comfortable with, uh, largely because uh, of the political implications of it. Uh, the military doesn't want to get involved in politics. That's not their role. That's not their training. Um, as for uh, congressmen and, and, and senators and whatnot who are who are beginning to to respond to events, they're responding to events, and more important, they're responding to the the what seems to be the growing public consensus that something needs to be done about uh, excessive policing, uh, excessive force in policing, and the outgrowth of that, uh, people's attitudes towards uh, Confederate uh, statues, and especially now the naming of military bases after Confederate generals. And Professor, moving on now to another more recent controversial decision. The president is holding his first rally in Tulsa on June 19th, also known as Juneteenth, marking the end of slavery. Tulsa was the site of a massacre of hundreds of black residents by white, a white mob in 1921, as we all know. What's the backlash been on this choice of date and location? Uh, I don't think there's anyone who thinks it's a good idea except for the president's team. Uh, the the media is against it. Most scholars are against it. Uh, much of the communities in in, in uh, the Southwest are against it. You have to understand, in the Southwest, Juneteenth is a major holiday for African Americans. It symbolizes literally the the coming of freedom. And then to hold it on Juneteenth in Tulsa, which recently we've been hearing a lot about the, the, the Tulsa riots, and a time in which the president is claiming there are riots that need to be stopped, and yet the Tulsa riot was a riot in which the police participated in. Uh, the optics are just horrible, and, and the message is worse. And on that note, we're five months away from Election Day. So much can happen between now and then. What will you be in the lookout for, perhaps, that might tip the scale one way or the other? Um, a couple things. One, the evolution of COVID-19. Does it get better? Does it get worse? Uh, two, the, 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 the media following on the problems of voting and Republicans' tendency to want to uh, not allow uh, mail-in voting at a time of a pandemic. And three, just how the situation with uh, the protests evolves. Uh, sometimes protests of this sort have a tendency to just evolve into chaos uh, as people get frustrated. Uh, we saw it in the, in, the, in the clip beforehand of the woman saying, I want my movement back. Things have changed already. Uh, to the extent that that happens, it could allow the president to regain some momentum. Well, thank you so much, Professor Charles Zeldin at Nova Southeastern University. Interesting conversation. Glad to be here. Donald Trump is set to accept the Republican nomination for president in Jacksonville, Florida. Part of the August convention moved from Charlotte, North Carolina, for after the governor told Republicans it couldn't be fully attended because of coronavirus. Delegates will officially elect their nominee in North Carolina, but the president will accept the nomination in Jacksonville. 
The White House is floating a theory that travel from Mexico may be contributing to a new wave of coronavirus infections rather than states' efforts to reopen their economies. The notion was discussed during a meeting of the administration's coronavirus task force in the White House Situation Room Thursday. COVID-19 cases are currently rising in nearly half of states across the country. That includes Arizona, where hospitals have been told to prepare for the worst, and Texas, which now has more hospitalized patients than ever. Now to immigration. New rules on the way on the way for those people hoping to claim asylum here in the United States. The Trump administration extending its restrictions on who can apply for asylum as officials crack down on those attempting to cross the southern border. Here's Francis Novell. Immigrants seeking political asylum in the U.S. could face stricter regulations, according to President Trump. The new rules are set to be published next Monday. Community activists say the new plan would admit far fewer asylum seekers and make it easier to reject cases. He's closing the door because he doesn't want to have any more immigrants here. He is claiming they are sick. The change could extend the rule to those who cross borders from countries south of Mexico and do not apply for asylum in other countries before reaching the U.S. border area. Trump believes that many are taking advantage of the U.S. system and want greater scrutiny for people trying to enter the country. If a person arrives seeking asylum, but when fleeing his country he had already established himself in another country, he had already obtained protection in that country, so why come here if he already obtained human rights protection? And for those who are in the United States, how do things change? Those who have already entered here cannot receive a work permit, even if they have been here for a long time. The new rules would also take into account adverse factors such as not having paid taxes and applying for protection while undocumented and having been in the country for more than a year. These rules will not take effect immediately. There is a 60-day period for public comment before the new rules can be implemented. Reported by Salvador Duran in Los Angeles, this is Francis Novell, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. U News, your world, U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. Latin American and the Caribbean countries have surpassed 1.5 million combined COVID-19 cases for the first time Thursday. The region surpassed 70,000 deaths from COVID-19 Wednesday. Brazil, one of the countries hard hit by the virus, accounted for more than half of the total with a death toll of over 40,000. Brazil also has the second highest number of confirmed cases worldwide and the third highest number of deaths in the world. Peru has more than 200,000 confirmed cases. Chile and Mexico have more than 100 confirmed cases each. Opposition lawmakers from Venezuela's National Assembly say they will not respond to a request from the highest court to hand over a list of candidates for leadership, leadership positions in the electoral body. Venezuela's Supreme Court has been criticized for its link to the Maduro regime, 
Last week, it said the opposition held Congress had not named directors to the South American country's electoral authority in time. The opposition called that an attempt to derail election plans. New legislative elections are due by the end of this year. The decision marks a setback on efforts between the two sides to agree on conditions for the vote. And now to Mexico, where the country, already reeling from a deadly case of alleged police abuse in the state of Jalisco, is now facing another shocking incident. In Oaxaca, teenagers shot by law enforcement officials in what is being called a case of mistaken identity. Here's Romina León. He didn't drink. He didn't smoke. He was a sportsman. He was healthy. Their pain words of Virginia Lopez while next to her son's body. Alexander Martinez, who was only 16 years old, in his life was on the soccer field. He was already playing soccer in the third division in a university team near the Gulf of Mexico in Veracruz. But police officers from Acatlán de Pérez, Oaxaca, shot him in the head. They say they mistook him for a criminal because he was wearing a face mask. So how can he not wear a face mask? Virginia told Univision that Chandler, as he was affectionate called, went out Monday night with some friends to buy soda. They were traveling on motorcycles. Those who were with him told us that a patrol car approached them. It was a truck, but it came with the lights off. They shot at point-blank range. I mean, they shot to kill. Alexander died there, and one of his friends is seriously injured, also shot in the head. Ana Gomez is a neighbor. When she found out what happened, she went to the place where the killing occurred, where they have already left offerings. There she saw a police commander by the body. He says I'm taking his gun away. No, you're putting it on him because I'm watching you put it in his head. He says, no, I'm taking it away from him because she shot at me with this gun. At the funeral, they gave Chandler his final farewell amid feelings of pain and helplessness. He was born in the United States. His father works in North Carolina and he's coming back to say goodbye to his son one last time. This case is in addition to that of Giovanni Lopez, murder in Jalisco, and Carlos Andres Navarro, who died a few days ago, also in Veracruz, after he was arrested. In early May, police in Huitzo, Oaxaca, threw this young man into a ravin after being beaten and left for dead. A friend of his did die. It seems that during this pandemic, several Mexican police officers have been allegedly behaving like criminals. They're supposed to have an order to kill like that? Why? Reported by Jessica Cermeño in Mexico City, Romina León, U News. Rio de Janeiro's Christ the Redeemer was lit up in traditional Corpus Christi rugs Thursday to mark the Catholic celebration for the Eucharist. Traditionally, streets in Brazil are decorated with rugs made of flowers, sawdust and other materials fashioned into religious imagery. But the pandemic forced the faithful to consider and reconsider other forms of marking the occasion. Instead, Corpus Christi rugs were beamed onto Rio's iconic statue that overlooks the city. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.